Are we ready? Yeah, okay. All right, so I was just checking, you know, I don't want to say things out of, out of line, but uh, today's message is seeing the not-so-obvious. Seeing the not-so-obvious. Did you ever put on uh, black socks and later on recognize one was blue? <laughs> Did you ever put on a pair of shoes and notice they weren't the right pair? <laughs> the, the other pair, you know, one of them's the wrong mate. So we've all been looking at things and seeing things, and uh, they come up to us, and uh, they appear to be right at the moment, but after further review, we find out that uh, they're not so obvious. Well, I have this uh, little poem here, or this story, and it kind of goes in that category. It's titled, The Cookie Thief by uh, Valerie Cox, The Cookie Thief. A woman was waiting at the airport one night with several long hours before her flight. She hunted for a book in the airport shop, bought a bag of cookies, and found a place to drop. She was engrossed in her book, but happened to see that the man beside her, as bold as could be, grabbed a cookie or two from the bag between, which she tried to ignore to avoid a scene. She munched cookies and watched the clock as the gutsy cookie thief diminished her stock. She was getting more irritated as the minutes ticked by, thinking, if I wasn't so nice, I'd blacken his eye. With each cookie she took, he took one too, and when only one, when only one was left, she wondered what he'd do. With a smile on his face and a nervous laugh, he took the last cookie and broke it in half. He offered her half as he ate the other. She snatched it from him and thought, oh brother, this guy has some nerve and he's also rude. Why, he didn't even show any gratitude. She had never known when she had been so galled and sighed with relief when her flight was called. She gathered her belongings and headed for the gate, refusing to look back at the thieving ingrate. She boarded the plane and sank in her seat, then sought her book, which was almost complete. As she reached in her bag, she gasped with surprise. There was her bag of cookies in front of her eyes. If mine are here, she moaned with despair, then the others were his, and he tried to share. Too late to apologize, she realized with grief that she was the rude, re- the rude one, the ingrate, the thief. <laughs> so, seeing the not-so-obvious, and... I think of our lives that many times uh, we look at them and we see what we think is the obvious and that uh, we, draw, we draw conclusions that are not the obvious. And there was a question earlier, is there, is, when is the right time not to answer a question? Well, sometimes it just has to be the not so obvious. Sometimes we don't see the not-so-obvious, and so we've got to pray for that wisdom and guidance and understanding to be able to deal and address with each of the things that happen in our lives. But we, we are, it's important for us to, you know, when the Bible says to pray for one another, that, that God is using us to work in the lives of others, sometimes it's whenever we think that 
They are stealing from us, and in reality, it is something that we have done that has set the stage for this. Well, in the book of Ephesians, Paul is, is writing here to the church at Ephesus, and Paul, he's, he's, you know, he's in prison, and, uh, this, and, and he's addressing how the people in Ephesus are responding to this situation because the obvious situation, the obvious interpretation of this is, Paul, he's in prison, so obviously... He's, he's, do, he's done something wrong. If he were really an apostle, and if he had really had an experience with Jesus Christ, and if he was really this man of God that he should be, he wouldn't be in prison. So it's almost like they're writing to him and saying, Paul, why are you? And Paul is ex- answering the question of why he's in prison. And so all of this proceedings, this is verse 11, all of this is proceeding along the, the lines planned all along by God. So Paul then sees his life and his imprisonment as the plan of God. And I I know I've said it other times, but there's no... If you're looking at Paul in prison at that time period, there is nothing that would give us an indication that he should be in prison. Because he's not being able to go and preach. He's not able to go there in person. And, And... People would look at that and say, well, you see, if God were really with him, bad things wouldn't happen to good people. (laughs) So whenever he sees this, he's telling them that God has a reason. But as we look back on that, we can say, here is Paul doing something that is totally out of character. He's writing books and he's writing letters to individuals and to churches and areas that can't read. (laughs) And he's writing and, and, you know, he can't be there himself But his writing to these churches is what he needs to do for our benefit. And at the time period, he had no clue that this is where it would be going. And sometimes we don't have a clue as to where things are going. We don't have a clue as to why things happen the way they do. So we are called then to respond in a positive faith towards our life and towards the situation. You know, I don't know why bad things happen to good people. I, I don't. You know, we can't say, you know, like whenever the uh, disciples ask Jesus, who sinned, this man or his family? It's like you have to find a reason for something going wrong. And whenever we have to find a reason for something going wrong, we try to make sense out of something that makes no sense, and it ends up being nonsense. <laughs> You know, there are so many nonsensical things going on and we're trying to attach meanings to them. Uh, like somehow they deserve this. Somehow there's some hidden sin, just like Job, that is the, his comforters. You know, they, they were trying to find a reason why Job would lose everything. And they are trying to comfort Job by telling him, you've done something wrong and you just didn't tell us and that's why all this has happened. And if you just confess all that stuff you did wrong, then, then, then we could go on with life. And, you know, it's nonsense. So Paul is telling them, all of this is proceeding along lines planned all along by God and then executed in Christ Jesus. So Paul is saying that my life is lived through Jesus Christ and for his purpose and for his glory and all of this is proceeding along the lines that he has planned for me. So what would it take for us to see the not so obvious? (laughs) What would it take for us to say, wow, you know God, everything is proceeding according to plan. 
How many would like to, you know, we could raise our hand and say, everything is proceeding according to plan. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, those, yeah, you know, but when we're sick and, you know, whenever we fall down and hurt and whenever we're, we, we have, well, this can't be according to God's plan. Well, how do we know? And, but the, the question is, in all things give thanks. So I'm asking God to somehow give me an insight to this. So Paul had the insight. He has the insight into this, and he now is trying to convey that same insight to the, here in the church at Ephesus. When we trust in him, this he goes on to say, this is the Message Bible, uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 11 through 13. When we trust in him, we're free to say whatever needs to be said and bold to go wherever we need to go. So don't let my present trouble on your behalf get you down. Be proud. So we are able to trust in Christ and we're free to say what needs to be said. Um, you know, I, I qualify for that. Not, not saying what needs to be said because what if I hurt somebody's feelings, you know? <laughs> well, you know, there's a yes and there's a no and then there's a gray in between. And so when do we determine that? Well, in our lives, it's important that if I'm going to not make it, um, not going to receive the grant, <laughs> if I'm not going to receive something, a grade or something, and I have to lie to get it, then it's not worth having. And we, we have these perspectives of truth that dictate our lives. They're not uh, Sunday morning boxes that we live in, and then we go off somewhere else and we live a different kind of life the day after. You see, our life is the same when people are around and the same whenever we're at home alone that our life is the same before God because we live our life unto him. So Paul is saying here, when we trust in him, we're free to say what needs to be said. We're free to say it. And, and, and the idea is that we are, we know what the truth is. But we try and say the truth in a way that it's palatable to other people, that somehow they will accept it and, and, and not turn away from Christ. Well, Paul is saying here, don't let my present trouble on your behalf get you down. When we look at things, seeing the not so obvious, when people are looking at Paul in prison, they are saying, you know, if this is what it's all about, we don't need to go there. But Paul is saying, don't let my present trouble get you down. I'm here on your behalf. Meaning that this letter that I'm writing to you is for your benefit. And even though I can't be there in person, this letter is for you. And be proud. Be proud of the fact that God is working out things in your life even though I'm in prison. Then it goes on. My response then to all of this is to get down on my knees before the Father. Paul is saying that I didn't come to this realization um, easily. I came to this place knowing that I had to get down on my knees and pray and ask God for direction in this whole thing. I had to pray, I had to believe that God was going to give me the words to say and the understanding that I find on my knees before the Father. This magnificent Father. Now, this is a great word, magnificent. Um, we are, it's extraordinary, it's above and beyond. This magnificent Father who parcels out all of heaven and earth. I am living my life unto this magnificent Father now, where's he at? He's in a prison, chained to a guard. And, and, and he's saying, my magnificent God. You see, the present place 
does not dictate the greatness of God. My present situation and all the things that I face does not portray, does not limit the magnificence of God. He is above all of this. And we can't figure out why he would allow, if he's so good, why doesn't he cash in a few of those things, you know? Um, I, you know, I grew up on a farm, and uh, whenever things really didn't go well, we didn't have meat, we killed the cow, sent it to the butcher. If things weren't going well, well, we sold the cow, you know. So I tell God, you know, if you own the cattle on a thousand hills, why don't you sell a few? Send me the money. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Send me the money. I could, I could use some cattle stock, cash. So, but you see, it's, it's one of those things that our present situation doesn't dictate what God is up to. See? What, God, what is God up to in my life? What is he trying to teach me? Where is he trying to take me? And Paul has the response that, you know, hey, this magnificent father. So from a prison, he sees the magnificence of God, the glory of God. And, 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 and this is what holds him, and this is where his attraction is, and this is where he doesn't see the cell as being... Uh, stopping the will of God. He sees the cell as proclaiming the will of God. I ask him to strengthen you by his spirit. So Paul is praying that you who are free, that you who are not here in prison with me, I pray that God will strengthen your spirit. God will strengthen your spirit. We should be praying for Paul. You know, we should be praying for him. God strengthen his spirit. No, his circumstance is not dictating his faith and the, the, the greatness of his faith. His circumstances have, God has assured him that this is where he needs to be and that the people who counted as something uh, belittling to Paul and to the ministry and the message of Christ Paul is saying, I'm praying God will strengthen your spirit that you'll be able to see what I'm going through as profitable, profitable for you. I ask him to strengthen you by his spirit, not a brute strength, but a glorious inner strength. A glorious inner strength. That Christ will live in you as you open the door and invite him in. So when Christ has come into our life, there is a glorious inner strength. Now, you see, a glorious inner strength that our spirit is awakened, that our spirit is alive with the spirit of Christ and the word of God, the living word, the personage of Christ comes into us and it, it, and it and it becomes us. It becomes who we are. It becomes how we think and what we expect and where we believe we're to go and how that God is going to do a work in our lives. You know, I believe that this is a year of expectation, a year of growth, a year of becoming more than what we've been before, that God has things in store for our lives that we never dreamed of, <laughs> above and beyond anything we could ask or think, because he has great things in store. So we're praying that he would he would strengthen us with that glorious inner strength that we can see things that are not so obvious. It looks this way, but you know what? This is what I see. <laughs> this is what I see. This is my mind's eye. You know, when, when Abraham was promised 
that um, he would have a child, <laughs> you know, everything's good. <laughs> Except some years later, I don't know if it's 15, 20, 30 years, I, mean, I don't forget which, what, how many numbers, how many years it is. But anyhow, he still has that promise, but he doesn't have any reality. He doesn't have any reality. He doesn't have a, he doesn't have a son. And, and you see, he had to look at his situation and see the glorious possibilities that were in God. And God kept reminding him of it. You know, Abraham, see the stars? That's as many as your descendant. Okay, I like that. Abraham, see the you know, sand under your, your feet? Those, those, your descendants are going to be that great. Yes. Seeing the not so obvious. Uh, God, <laughs> I don't have a son. You know, can, can you help me out here on this? What did God do? He waited until it was physically impossible for he or Sarah to have a child, and then God gave him a child. You see, in our life, sometimes God has to take us to the place where it can't happen. That everything in our natural realm, everything in our understanding, and our natural thinking, and our natural approach, and, and, and how we understand things logically, comes to a place where we know it can't happen. And it's in that place where it can't happen, there's something inside that says, yes, it can. And that's the glorious inner strength, the glorious inner strength that Christ will live in you. That Christ is alive in us. He's not, al- he's not only alive, he's not just sitting at the right hand of the Father, you know, dishing out things here and there to a few people. He's alive within every, every child, every, every believer. He's alive in us. And he's there for a purpose, to help us become and to grow us in our knowledge of Christ. I, I like the next, sec- next verse that says, And I ask him that with both feet planted firmly on love. It's, it's almost like with both feet planted firmly on the ground. <laughs> with both feet planted firmly on reality. Okay, Both feet planted firmly on love. You see, whenever we love the, the lady who, uh, the cookie thief, <laughs> you know, she saw things as they were. Could she see this, uh, you know, can look beyond that and be willing to share from what she has? Even though she thought it was hers, but she would give it away only to discover out it wasn't hers that she was giving away, you know? I'm always good at spending other people's money. If you need something, get, you know, <laughs> you know. You know, so it's easy to spend other people's money, you know, and we don't have to pay for it. But when it comes to our own understanding of wisdom and, and, and finances and living our life, we get into this quagmire of thought and, well, this and this happens and that happens and something we have to, with feet planted firmly on love. So if I feel like someone is stealing from me, Jesus says, if, if they come and ask you to walk a mile, the Roman soldiers had the legal right to you know, take citizens and have them carry their armor for one mile. And, and Jesus said, if somebody asks you to take the, walk with them a mile, what does he say? Walk with them too. So you see, if someone is taking from you, <laughs> cutting you off in traffic, <laughs> if someone is running up on your bumper <laughs> in love, give them the highway. I didn't say anything. I said, give them the highway, you know, (laughs) you know, let them have the right of way. Why? Because in my, in the spirit of love, I can let it go. And when I can let that go, 
some then perhaps I can let go of my own failures. Because if we haven't let go of our own failures, we will not let go of others. Because we're trying to prove that we're not that bad. You see, Lord, look at them people over there. They do this, and, and, and they get away with it. I'm not that bad. <laughs> you know? But God is telling us that by the spirit of love and with our, our feet firmly planted in reality, you'll be able to take in with all the followers of Jesus the extravagant, the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. So you see, there's the magnificent and there is the extravagant. And extravagant means excessively high. How many are willing to pay extravagant prices for something? <laughs> no hands. Why? Because it's excessively high. But you see, when God speaks of his love for us, he speaks of it in the context of extravagance, above and beyond, greater than anything we could ever ask or imagine. There's an extravagance about God that challenges our pettiness, our little bucket of concept of walls that we live in and God saying extravagant above and beyond that God will pour back into our be back into us pressed down shaken together and running over it's extravagance so how can we be extravagant in love loving the people who don't ask for it <laughs> and uh, sharing the cookies when they're somebody else's, <laughs> you know, seeing the not so obvious that when things rub us the wrong way, why is it the wrong way? <laughs> what makes it so wrong? It's because it irritates me, <laughs> you know, but that might be exactly what we need to overcome. So the extravagance of love is that which strengthens us and, 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 it, and it gives us a different perspective. And he says, and I ask him that with both feet planted firmly on, the, on love, you'll be able to take in with all the followers of Jesus. See, that isn't just for the, you know, you can elbow the person beside you. He's speaking to you. <laughs> this isn't for me. This is for you. You know, he doesn't, you know, do that extravagant love thing. Um, reach out. Reach out. <laughs> and experience the breath, test the length, plumb the depths, rise to the heights, live full lives fully in the fullness of God. That's extravagance. The extravagance of God's love is that it is beyond our measure. It is, it, you know, it's like reaching out. You got people around you, people beside you, that we might understand the breadth, the length. Well, you know, we, I think Paul here, in, uh, by the inspiration of the Spirit, uh, that reaching out and others to love, well, we would put some type of parameters on that. <laughs> we would, uh, well, you know, well, when Peter says, well, how, much, how many times should we forgive? Up to seven times? He thought he was being extravagant. And Jesus says, uh, 70 times seven? See, Peter thought he was being extravagant. And the not so obvious is, how do we look at ourselves and think, well, you know, I'd forgive him seven times. And God is saying, seven? It's 70 times. It's, you know, it's, it's innumerable number of times because how many times is God going to forgive you? 
How many times is God going to forgive us for our stupidity and our willful, intentional sin? He is willing to forgive, and so if he is willing to forgive, then why shouldn't I be so willing? Because I'm giving of what I have received. If I haven't received it, then I can't give it. So whenever I'm hoarding my cookies that belong to somebody else, I haven't been able to deal with what I own. God wants us to deal with it in a healing way, to be able to strengthen our character, but at the same time, touch the lives of the people around us. And so it's an extravagant, it's, a, it's, it's excessively high. The, the uh, commentator, the not comment, dictionary says that uh, spending much more than is necessary or wise. So when God speaks of his extravagance, it's, you know, he, the, the dictionary is calling God, he's not too wise. <laughs> but in reality, he is God and he loves us. And then it goes on in verse 20. God can do anything, you know, far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. The extravagance of God, okay? The extravagance of God, we cannot even begin to fathom how extravagant he is. How, we can't even imagine it. God can do anything. God can do anything. Even help us get over somebody stealing our cookies. <laughs> See? And, and how have, how has, how has it, how has, how have, well, anyhow, when somebody interferes, <laughs> steps over into your territory, your circle that you have around your life and so on, and somebody infringes on that, how do we respond to that? Well, God can do anything, you know, far more than you could ever imagine. So as we sit back and we take our imaginations to their greatest <laughs> height, length, breadth, depth, as we take our imaginations where no man has ever gone before, <laughs> what do we see? And we haven't even begun to see. I, I watched a, um, I don't know, Science Channel or something, where the Hubble telescope, and they were talking about how that, um, on the telescope, the mirrors were out of, I mean, it was just fractions of, of an inch or fractions of a, a measurement that caused it to be out of focus. And how that, during the, the times in which the space shuttle was going up and back and forth and things, that they would put in different mirrors and how that they were able to rearrange a new configuration of mirrors in order for it to see what it was supposed to see. And, and I, I think of it in our life that we sometimes, we have the distortion of our human, of our human perspective of what we can imagine. And, you know, it's like we can see far out into the skies, but it's this distorted picture because we don't have, we can't see clearly enough. But whenever they changed the mirrors in the telescope, they were able to see things that they'd never seen before. And they've made, they made numerous journeys to the scope, the telescope, and changed, interchanged and put in new mirrors and put in new cameras and put in new things that, and it, it's surprising that they aimed the, the telescope at a black hole in space, okay? That they couldn't see anything there. And they aimed the, the, the telescope at a, a place that was supposed to be vacant. And when they took a picture of it, 
they saw in that vacancy other stars that they were too far away that they'd never seen before. And in our life, the Spirit of God helps us to see things that we've never seen before. And they're there. They're right in front of us, but we can't see them. But God can help us to see his love, his extravagance, far more than we could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working with us. God is not pushing us through life. He is working with us. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. The two of us are together in this. We're not alone. He is not pushing us. He's working with us. His spirit deeply and gently within. The extravagant God in the, in the, in the <laughs> depths, height, length, breadth of his spirit is working gently in our hearts. He doesn't manipulate He doesn't pressure. He doesn't push. He leads. (laughs) God leads his children. He leads us by his spirit. He leads us by his word and he takes the word, the living word and the spirit and makes it real to our spirit. The same spirit to raise Christ from the dead will quicken us. uh, that That our spirit will bear witness with his spirit. That Our spiritual understanding will be there, but we will be firmly grounded in love and there will be a knowledge and an understanding of our heart and our mind that we are able to see that which we haven't seen before. Faith is not seeing the wrong definitions. There's a bunch of them. That faith is believing for something that doesn't exist. (laughs) You know, that's not it. Faith is believing for something that does exist. We just haven't seen it yet. And Faith, like the scope, the telescope, is looking and focused at a black hole that we can't see in our future, that we can't see out there. But when the scope with the correct lenses and the correct adjustments can see what's really there. And that's what's going on in our life. Seeing the not so obvious. It's there by faith, by His Spirit, by his word coming together, can formulate that image that we will then see. Amen? Father, we thank you. We thank you. (laughs) God, the not so obvious, we are, we stumble over it. And God, we are quick to take offense by it. But Lord, may we be patient. May we, in love, see who you are, what you're doing, and how you're working in us. And if we can't see it, may we by faith believe it and that God, one day you will make it sight. So Lord, bless this day, bless our time, bless your word to our lives that we may go forward and serve you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.